At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. Look at your coat of ghost, Justin Hyde! We're gonna get him! We're gonna get him! The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. 
Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend in As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> This is Ask Me Anything Friday. I've got my buddy Chad Reynolds in the house. Hey, um, we're gonna, yeah, yeah, man. I tell you what, we're gonna have to come up with a nickname for you. We got Seth the Hairbrain. We got Mother of Chaos. I've been really thinking about Lizard Brain for you because of all the animal training you do out there. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> That'll work. I don't know. Well, we might put that one out for public opinion and see see what people can come up with. I'd be interested to see what Tyler would. Tyler Sladen would want to want to put what title he'd want to put on you. It might be a little too colorful coming from Tyler. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'll tell you what, that segment you did with him on all mixed up about the, the birds, you know, the Falcons, the, the Raptor transport him talking about goshawks ricocheting crap off the windshield. And I, that's crazy, man. Yeah, they they can do it. It's it's pretty bad. We've even if you stick them in a corner, sometimes people put them up against the walls trying to direct their waist to a corner. And if you have like a like a slick surface behind them, it'll hit the wall behind them and shoot out over their head like a few feet in front of them. They they really got some pressure. Projectile shitting. <laughs> Holy moly. I never knew. I didn't know that. That's something I learned about, about goshawks. I had no clue. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's gross, but I mean, if you really think about it, it, it helps them stay sanitary, you know, like it's, it's hard for everybody else, but it keeps them clean, you know? Yeah. And you guys go into great detail on that part, but also some other stuff. It was fun, but let's not let the cat out of bag. Let's make people go listen to that episode. Yeah. They want to hear about projectile crapping and goshawks, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh, Tyler's gonna Tyler's gonna be with us in Texas. He's gonna come out uh, when we head to Texas next month mm-hmm. and snap some photos for us and go hunting with us. And it's gonna be a big time. I can't wait. Yeah, sounds like it should be a great time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna put you on the spot. You can give me your answer later, but <laughs> hopefully you can make it. You know, I'm gonna be there for at least part of it. You know, there you go. All right, we got a commitment, and it's public. You can come and meet the Chad Reynolds at the American Hunter Hunting Terrier Association Yog Terrier Trials in Tyler, Texas in October. Let's go bay a pig. Yep. Yeah, you bet. You bet. It's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, those guys down there put on a, uh, from what I've heard, I've never been, this will be my first time, but I've always heard that they put on a really good event. And uh, uh, we're going to do some hunting off, off to the side while we're there we're not just going down there for the the trials we're going down there to to meet some other folks and have a good time catching some pigs out in the wild as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i want to see you you've talked about being a hog hunter from florida we're going to see how how legit you are buddy oh oh (laughs) i don't mind i love it i love it i although i everybody has to catch and tie one pig in their life it's it's just one of those things you know yeah, so I'm gonna have to stop and get some mule tape somewhere. Yeah, mule tape's great for it. That and uh, worst comes to worst, you could sabotage your buddy's uh, ratchet straps. Those uh, yeah. nylon webbing on ratchet straps work great too. So 
for sure. If, if you for see sure. in your buddy's truck, they got a pair. You can just snip the excess off, and they don't mind. You know. Yeah, talk was, about talk about a pro tip right there, man. Yeah, like steal your buddy's ratchet straps for hog tying. Yep. <laughs> pro tip, HXP pro tip from Chad Reynolds, right there, <laughs> right there. Hey, we got a lot to cover in this AMA Friday. It's uh, we got a lot of really good questions. And if you're wondering how to submit a question for AMA Friday, I'm going to cover that with you real quick. On designated uh, Fridays, you are going to see a standardized post pop up on Facebook. All right. To make this thing work, uh, you've got to respond to the post on, on the Houndsman XP podcast group. So go there, watch for the posts on Fridays. I'm going to leave that post up. I, I'm going to say I'm going to leave it up for 48 hours now to give people a chance to respond and see it. I don't control the algorithms on Facebook. Who knows how that stuff works? But uh, So I don't want to cheat anybody. So th the way it works is you post a question, and then as people read through the comments and look at those questions, then it's a, a question. You, you like the post. You just put a like on it, and the most engagement on the post we're going to pick them up and we're going to answer them. We also reserve the right to answer questions that we just like. So, uh, but we're going to answer the top rated questions and then we're going to answer some questions. It's like, man, that's a good question. It's just not getting a lot of traction. And you, there is nothing off the table for AMA Fridays. Of course, you know, there's some things that too personal or whatever, but, but this is a fun time. I'm getting a lot. This this one's going to be almost all training questions, and it's more serious topics. But we like goofing off and having a good time, and and addressing some of these off the wall topics too. So that's how it works. Watch for the post, post your question on the post, and then everybody else go in there and engage with it. If you like the question, you want to hear us try to answer that question, then boom, we'll do it. So, what do you think about that, Chad? That sounds great, man. <coughs> I'm excited. I like these are fun. These are fun. I like it. Always helps. I, I swear by it. You know, like you, you to take your training to the next level. You need to be able to talk with other people about their problems and then help you know mentally work through it. And so it keeps you on your toes, makes you a better trainer, handler. You know, and then you can kind of get out and hive mind it with a bunch of other people. So this, I love this stuff. I eat this stuff up, you know, uh, sometimes I get yeah, it hundred percent right. And other times I might get it a little bit off, but it's, it's a blast every time. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about this thing, this stuff is, it, you know, just like our Wednesday show, it's called the journey for a reason. Cause we're all learning together. And, and when I get asked questions, then it makes me think, and it makes me evaluate my position on a certain certain issue whether it's a training issue or whatever it makes me evaluate what i'm doing and really tear it apart when you've got to come on a podcast and give an answer to a question then it makes you uh you know consider how you've been doing things and go out and research if you don't know so it's not about us being like oh we're we're houndsman xp and and we've got all this training knowledge I'm hunting the same junk everybody else is, okay? <laughs> and I'm trying to figure it out just yep. like everybody else. Yep. I've got good days and I've got bad days, but every day I'm trying to get better. And when I get asked these questions, it's like, oh, yeah, I did this. Or, no, I've never heard of that, so I'm going to – I love it. It's good stuff. Good stuff. 
All right. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do first. Uh, we had a question a couple weeks ago on the first AMA Friday, and uh, uh, I've been eating a lot of crow lately. I ate some crow during the uh, uh, episode we ran with Tree Dog Doc called Setting the Record Straight here a couple weeks ago, uh, where we straightened out some medication uh, issues that, that Dr. Taylor Young had with uh, what we were putting out there. But... Um, but I'm gonna. I've, I've developed a taste for it, so I'm gonna eat some more. Uh, I answered Kevin Hall's question about X breads a couple weeks ago, uh, and I, I missed the mark. Okay, so instead of me trying to give you wrong information or whatever, I just went straight to the man. I went to Alan Gingrich at UKC, and uh, I recorded this little bit with him about X bread, and um, we're just gonna let him answer the question. So. How about if we let him roll it out, Chad, and then we pick it up on the other side? Oh, yeah. All right. Here's Alan Gingrich about X-Bread and the X-Bread program at UKC. All right. So here's Alan Gingrich, the man himself, to answer the question about X-Breads after uh, I kind of I, – I didn't mean to mess that up. I, I guess I just never um, – paid that much of attention uh, much attention to it because i've never dealt with it so tell us what tell us about x breads kevin hall had a, had a big question and i'll kind of walk you through that um uh, he wants to know how long we've been doing it how success and how successful they've been i mean that'll pretty much okay yeah i think we started the program in 2015 is when we broke it out so and i'd say it's been highly successful you know our single registration program went through each one of the breed associations originally and they determined whether the dog met uh, uh their requirements and they were they were not all the same you know so the one thing the that, only one that didn't was uh plot plot the plot was yeah, the only one that yeah, yeah that didn't do single and then there was some uh, at least one of the other associations was only open for a certain time of the year you mm -hmm. know and then they would close yep. and things like that but what this does is a couple things it standardized uh, uh the whole process for single registration you know so so first of all x uh we call it x bread but it's important to note that it is not a breed it's a category uh, mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, X denotes several things. X is a standard symbol for the unknown. And then it's mm -hmm. also a symbol to indicate a certain cross, you know, so yeah. whatever that cross might be. And, and that term accurately describes the hounds that are in this program, which is why we ended up calling it the X-Bred uh, program. So, uh, so yeah, there's, so there's a couple. There's uh, three, different, three different hounds groups that fall under this category. One is obviously the unknown. So the old standard used to be where let's just use a red bone cross and a, and a treeing walker. We use mm -hmm. the red bone a lot because it's a solid colored hound. And often when you breed two, two hounds and one's a solid color, you, you could get mostly solid colored hounds out of it. And you wouldn't even know. So what was happening in the past is uh, folks would just not be upfront and honest about some of those crosses they were making and take the ones that were a solid color that looked like a red bone in this case we're using as example, bring it to the take it to the red bone association so long as it looked like a red bone, uh, didn't know what you know or said they didn't know what the lineage was behind it guess what they registered as a red bone mm -hmm. when technically yeah. it wasn't so the one thing this does it it uh it allows folks an avenue 
to just call it what it is. If it is, yeah. a, if it was a, a known cross of two different breeds, then here we go. And it will be single, list- single register. It is a red bone in the next generation. The ne- first litter it has, or it sires, yep. comes out spotted and yeah, white yeah. white legs and. <laughs> yeah, you know, so this and it has worked in in uh, now you uh, when you have a cross bred like that, it's actually on your papers and and the pedigree will show what it actually is, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the third, the uh, uh, the the second one is a dog that is of unknown, really of unknown lineage. You know, you might have one uh, for whatever reason you don't know what it is. Uh, it looks like it might be something. Uh, but now you can't just because it looks like a red bone doesn't mean you're going to register it as a red bone. If you have, it's going to be registered as an X bred. Call it for what it is. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. You're registering mm-hmm. it honestly. Uh, yeah. And then the third dog is when you do get uh, a dog with a DQ color, off colored dog like maybe in a blue ticks, like liver colored is not a yeah. an acceptable color. It's a DQ. You can mm-hmm. still register that liver colored puppy now. And, but it would be registered as an X-bred. So it could still per, uh, be entered in performance events. So that would be night hunts, uh, water races, or field trials, or things like that. Still enter in performance events, just could not be shown. And, okay, so I have, a, I have a couple questions. One uh, is on that, on that X-bred, say you take the, the liver tick and you, you register it as an X-bred, how many... If I breed that back to a blue tick, are, how are the pups registered, and how how long before they're considered blue tick? Okay, or is there a way to get there? It, there, there is. So let uh, can we start with a crossbred? Let's start with a, yep. a two two coonhound crosses. First, the only uh, crosses that we will accept here would be of coonhound crosses only, okay. like a like a red bone uh, bred to a tree walker, one of the seven breeds it's not going to okay. work we're not going to register a, a cross between a blue tick and a cocker spaniel or a or a, a bird dog of sorts it's got to be okay. coon on to coon on first and foremost um so it would be uh after three generations a dog is three generations of the same breed it is eligible for that dog would be eligible for a breed transfer at that point okay so Mm -hmm. uh three generations would mean there's only one off colored dog or off breed dog in the third generation so let's say you kept breeding it back to red bone you had this red bone tree walker cross you kept took those offspring uh offspring bred them again those offspring bred them again and it would be then that next uh generation uh they would only have one dog in the third generation that would still be a treeing walker. Mm-hmm. That is that dog is now eligible for a breed transfer. Okay. Now the other thing that'll probably come up next question I can answer is uh does that happen automatically? Is it automatically now registered as a treeing walker in the or a red bone in this case we're using as an example? And the answer is no. You have mm-hmm. to apply for a breed transfer. And does that have to be inspected by a breed rep? Or? No, not inspected by a breed. It comes through the United Kennel Club, and, and I, I am not sure. I think to begin with, it was set up that the breed association still has a say in it, whether that dog is going to be uh, registered. And I can't answer that here today. I need to find out about that. But that's the way it was set up before. But uh, okay. yeah, but it is through a breed transfer process there. How do you know? How do you know that the the dog that I'm bringing in, the text bred, 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna register this thing's expert because you said you can't breed uh, a red bone to a cocker spaniel. So how do you know that I haven't bred it to a bird dog? You know, something that's close enough that it's going to pass the muster, but maybe it's got something in there. Well, and, and it could, and those could still technically slip through. What we require, you, so you, you're going to register, registering two breeds of coon hounds is one thing. You can do that on your regular litter application. Those can mm-hmm. be litter registered, actually. You know, the sire is a treeing walker, the, the, the dam is a red bone. That yeah. uh, just register like you would any a treeing walker breed or a blue tick breed, any breed like that. But an unknown, you go through the through. It, we still have the same single registration application, uh, but with that you have to send in pictures of the dog, three pictures, okay, one of each side and one of the front, and it yeah. has to look like a hound. So in other words, right. if we suspect you know it looks birdie or what have you or something else, we we would uh, deny that application Mm -hmm. so but so technically to answer your question technically you could and i'm sure there's probably a few that slip by but uh if they have signs of something outside of a coon on breed they're going to be pretty quick to get denied yeah yeah i'm uh there goes my dreams of breeding (laughs) my yog terrier to a black and tan yeah yeah man can't do it yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so let's talk about uh, the question we're talking about came from Kevin Hall uh, about the success. What kind of success are you seeing? How many people are actually – let's start with how many people are uh, just ballpark actually uh, participating in the X-Bread option. You know, I, I don't know that I can give you a good answer on that. Uh, I'm going to say – I don't know. I don't know how to answer that really. There's quite a few. And there's, that's, there, that's there's, close enough. there's quite a few intentional crosses being made, you know, and, and for the most part, uh, maybe for performance purposes. You know, we yeah. used to say what, what a lot of folks don't know about UKC prior to this, we actually had a program that allowed folks to crossbreed. But the steps were too extreme. We had to, you had to apply for this, uh, for this plan that you had. You had to write out your plan, what you were going to do. We would record or register each one of your puppies, and you had to have a step-by-step plan what your end goal was going to be. But it was just far too much for breeders to go through. Mm-hmm. That this eliminates all that. And, um, um, but yeah, you know it's. Uh, the the other thing it does it does our pedigrees are far more accurate now because of this call it what mm-hmm. it is you know right. so and really there's not so much in coonhound breeds but there are plenty of other breeds of dogs that have health issues that they cannot fix within their own breed because yeah. the whole breed yeah. is like that you know so something a program like this or you know where they need to go outside of their breed to correct their uh, those issues you know so mm-hmm. And those things have worked, have been done, and, and have worked. So yeah. going back to what it, you know, to uh, what is considered, uh, you know, uh, eligible again for uh, a breed transfer, it basically boils down to being 87%. Once you have that mm-hmm. one dog remaining an off-breed dog in the third generation, just one dog, that is would be considered 87%, which by DNA standards is considered pure again. It, and it has to meet the breed standards that it's being registered for. Yeah, Is that yeah, one of the... it uh, it would have. Okay. It would have. Yeah, to, yeah. So you couldn't yeah. take you couldn't take a black and tan yeah. that you know has got brindle stripes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, but gotcha. I think for the most part, Chris, I think it's been very a very good uh, program for us, and a mm-hmm. good category, and uh, and people are using it for different reasons. Yeah, you know, I think. Well, how do you? I I, I got to ask you this question because, you know, UKC has always said they're a purebred registry, and you know, how have you addressed that being a purebred registry, and then all of a sudden, you know. What's your answer to that? Well, I think the honest answer to that is there is no such thing as a purebred dog. I think if you really look back, they all they all come from one, and that's the wolf. You and I know that. Yeah, right. You know, and I think uh, if you start talking DNA, and I'm not that guy, but I've listened to enough, sat in enough uh, meetings to learn that uh, what what's interesting, you know, the the DNA analysis of any dog, no matter what breed, is 99% the same, exact same as a wolf. Put that in perspective yeah. a little bit. So I think it's fair to say, really, the honest answer, there is no such thing as a purebred dog. My, my twist on that whole thing, Alan, is back in the day when uh, people were claiming that they were purebred dogs and there was plenty of stuff out behind the barn that we never knew about. And, uh, you know, this, this actually gives us an opportunity to look at a dog and say, okay, it came from this line of dream walkers and this line of blue ticks. You can look at health history. You can look at, you can look at all kinds of things. You can look at performance. You can look at confirmation. You know, now you, now you can actually, make informed decisions about what you're doing instead of being like, Oh yeah, he's registered as a blue tick, but so-and-so I know the real story, you know? And it led to a lot of rumors and innuendos and accusations that nobody could, could, could uh, prove except the person that was, was breeding the dogs. And, um, I, I, I don't mind it at all. Yeah, no, with me. I think that's exactly right. You know, so, but still technically by DNA standards, 87% is what they consider pure, purebred, mm-hmm. even though if you want to be technical about it. Well, how successful have they been in competition? That is one thing that, that uh, Kevin Kevin asked in his question. You know, I think, I think for the most part, uh, very successful. You can you can name some dogs out there that have done a, quite a bit of winning. We're seeing more and more. I think the maybe the better question for me, anyways, is you know it's just like any other breed of animals. Uh, oftentimes the hybrids are more successful. But what happens after that? I'm interested in that next generation. Yep, me too. You know what I mean? Yep. So I think the verdict is still kind of out, or it's being it's probably playing out about now. You know, but I think that right. first, uh, that first cross, I think is is uh, is working. But you know, all that said, this is nothing new. Our forefathers did this stuff all the time. The bear guys, you know, the bear hunters, they're doing they're they're crossbreeding all the time. Mm-hmm. They could probably tell us better than we can. Yeah. You know? So and yeah, I, I came real close this last time to doing a cross crossbreed on a blue tick. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I am not a, uh, I don't consider myself a breeder by any, by any measure, you know, but, uh, but I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said for the, the, the purist, the guy that, sure. that wants to, sure. you know, keep the legacy alive of their breed. They've, you know, there's nothing wrong with having that, that pride in that. And, um, 
if they're registered and you know what they are and you are that guy that's a legacy guy and it's like i'll never breed anything into my my dogs you know other than the breed you know that dog that that is out there is an ex-bred dog or has an ex-bred dog a few generations back there's no mystery anymore and you can mm-hmm. stay away from it yeah. if that's what you want to do exactly exactly right yeah yeah well good deal alan i appreciate you taking time and and uh answering the question man i will tell you one other thing we do have yeah. a uh, a thing that we posted back in uh 2015 on the, it's a slideshow like a powerpoint slideshow uh that is out there that you can go to youtube and just search UKC and then put in a space and put in X. UKC space X, and it should pop up. There's a yeah. wealth of information there on the X-Bread program. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll check that out, man. All right. Thanks, Alan. You're welcome. All right. I don't know how you can get any better answer than, <laughs> uh, you know, Alan Gingrich, who's running the Coonhound operations over there. And... Uh, yeah, Alan. Alan's always always been a. He's just become a really good friend of mine. We rat, we rabbit hunt together. He invites me up to the UP to uh, chase hares with him up there with his pack of beagles and oh, nice. have a big camp out. Man, it's one it's one of the funnest things I do all year. But but uh, UKC is doing a lot of good stuff over there. So Neat. I really enjoyed I, I enjoy Alan, and uh, I think that answered that question pretty well. Yeah. So there you go, Kevin Hall. You uh, you've got. You've got your answer to your question about X-Breads now. The right answer. Hey, do you have you got a copy of these questions we're going to do, Chad? <coughs> yeah, I think I got I got one, two, I got four of them. All right, well, select select one and we'll dive into it. You select it and read it and uh we'll just kind of switch off and on like that. All right. All think, right. I think uh, I got one here from uh uh Kalen Mace. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm not the best of names. Uh but uh Yeah. They got uh, three patterdales that they hunt with and uh supposedly they they hunt together fine they're right in the box fine and when she kennels them together um during the winter they're fine there too they got one male and two females and i guess the question is is uh whenever they turn loose of one of their their whenever their two females are kennelled separately and they cut one loose in the yard and then they walk over and cut the other one loose in the yard that they they'll tie up in the yard you know, but they do all these other things together just fine. But they they they'll scrap. You're talking about tying up like aggressive towards yeah. each other. They yeah yeah they'll We're fight. Not talking about bre- a breeding tie, they're fighting. No, yeah, no, two females, okay. and you know, if one gets cut loose in the yard, and then the other one does, they'll they'll go out there and they'll start fighting. Um, oh, it's the fe- it's the females that are getting into it. That's right. Okay. They have one male and two females. It says, and uh, uh, generally, it's just a. Uh, a vocalization, a vocalization it sounds like but every now and then they have to intervene um and it's the only time they do it uh what's what's the suggestion um <clears throat> this is this is really close to um fence fighting now i don't know how they're kenneled if they're kenneled with one divider between them or if they have the male between them or if there's like a blind in between them but a lot of times they'll build up um a lot of this uh anticipation and you know some dogs will fence fight like crazy through a fence and then when the fence is gone, they just stop. You know, it's, there's something about thresholds mm-hmm. in dogs, specifically with terriers, um, where it can, it can get out of hand. So there might be a barrier. There might not be. If there isn't a barrier, just a little divider can help a lot with this. But regardless of that, even if there, there's like a cement wall in between them, um, dog aggression never gets better. 
it only gets worse. You know, um, it's one of those things. It's easier. It's not easy, but it's easier to prevent than train out. And it's a nightmare to try and break it. But the, 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 the name of the game here is to redirect them, you know, um, build a routine ahead of time, you know, maybe, uh, start with dog a whichever one that is and then put a bowl of food down with just a a handful of kibbles just a few things and then get them in a habit of they come out of their kennel run and then they stuff their nose in a bowl they come out they stuff their nose in a bowl and do that for a week to build a routine so that when that kennel door opens the first thing they're thinking about is that little bowl of food now if they aren't driven by food get yourself some hot dogs get something else that they really want find something of value yeah and get them pointed at that and do it with the other dog as well. Um, and then try and find some way of slowly introducing them. But a lot of this is coming from anticipation. So the, you know, the dogs in the kennel run, they're, they're like boxers in the ring. They're, they're jumping up and down, ready to go ding, ding. They come in and they're, they're at each other. So you have to, yeah. you have to break that somehow, you know, so maybe something as simple as let the first dog out, um, to their, you know, go to their bowl or their, and, and sometimes a bowl can cause dogs to be possessive. So, you know, maybe start with a bowl so that they can see it and identify it from their kennel run. And then after they know it's there and they're attacking the bowl to eat the, the treats, then remove the bowl and just have the stuff on the ground. Dogs are far less possessive and defensive when there isn't something to possess like a, like a bowl. Um, mm-hmm. So get them to come out, get them to eat. That'll get them anticipating the food rather than anticipating the fight. Now you can't just cut them loose. You got to kind of break this up in the, into three or four parts. Um, that's all animal, animal training is for me. Uh, taking something you want to train, fracturing it into as many small parts as you can, perfecting the training of each and then putting them back together. Um, and that's what we're trying to do now is make the release from the kennel run, not be the boxer's bell. Ding, ding, ding. It's about to start. Make the release from the kennel run to be, the dinner bell and mm-hmm. they're going to come out pointed at something else. Um, yes. So what I'm hearing is redirect. You got to, that's a, that's a, a big term that dog trainers need to understand. It's that redirect. You've got to redirect away from the bad behavior. What they're doing is they're directing their energies towards something they want to do. So like you said, Chad, so if they're not eating kibble, if that's not getting it, then throw something a little more enticing down there. You know, I, I want my son, I, when my kids were little, I wanted them to eat broccoli, but if I threw Twinkies down, the broccoli was getting ignored. So, uh, you, you know, you find that hot dog, cut it up in little pieces and mm-hmm. do it like that. Now, would you say, would you say that an assistant here, this is, this is kind of what I was thinking. And you tell me if I'm on base or off base, but okay. So I get somebody to help me. I go over and I get one of the females out and I bring them out and I give her her reward. Somebody else goes and gets the other female. They bring them out and they give them a reward over here for a few days. And that way, like you said, when they come out of the kennel, they're getting the reward for, we found a high value reward for them. Mm -hmm. And then once they get done eating their own little treats, you just slowly introduce them to each other, walk them on leash over to each other. And then correct any anything that looks like aggression at that point, and take them back and give them that high value reward again. And then you, yeah, that definitely. Never let, let them off. Let don't ever let them off leash until you see that there's not going to be any aggression between the two of them. Yeah, if, if there's a ringleader or a, a fight starter, that'd be a better way of saying. It. If there's like you know somebody who initiates it, 
you know, <coughs> focus on that Antagonist. one. Um, yeah, and you can do this with an assistant. That'd be great. But if not, you can get yourself like uh, a long line or a tree lead or something like that. And if uh-huh. you have just dog A, you know, have there, and you never want to put too much. Gosh, there's so many parts to this. Right. Um, but you never want to put too much. You want it to just be a, a quick bite and boom, boom, yep. it's gone. You know, you're just trying to break that routine of out of the kennel, starting the fight. So if you just have, you know, uh, think of like a little bit thicker than pepperonis, maybe like two or three of them, you know, of, of hot dog or cheese yep. or something yep. that they can consume really quick. No chewing and you don't want crumbs falling out of their mouth. And then they sniff around for them because then they might protect that. You want it to just, right. you know, over the tongue and gone and that's it. You know, so that's why, you yep. know, pieces of tr- string cheese or hot dog is really good for that. It's gone, you know, whereas kibble yep. or like a crunchy milk bone or something like that, they're going to drop little crumbs all over the place and then they're going to try and protect it. So you want something they can consume really quick. So uh, my what I was trying to say, though, is you can with your first dog, um, get them going to where you open the kennel door and they run to it, maybe like 10 feet away. And then you can mm-hmm. immediately walk over to your other dog and let that one out. Now, you have to let that one out before the first dog gets done with theirs. But that second dog could be on a on a long line. So he comes out and he doesn't have the freedom to go engage the other dog, you know, and just that little break sometimes is, is, is all you yeah. need. So if you have an assistant, awesome. If not, just open the kennel run door and then put their, their, I would say reinforcement, but it really, at this point, we aren't really reinforcing anything. We're just trying to say, Hey, focus on this, not your kennel mate there. And, uh, yeah. and then just, you know, if you got 10 feet of leash, put it six feet out, you know? And, uh, and then after that, let them go. So you want to make sure that you don't let them both out of the kennel runs they eat. And then they look at each other and go, you know, uh, something as simple as, you know, letting, you know, letting that one eat and going over and stand next to it while it has a few bites and then walking away. It's just redirecting, redirecting entirely, you know, giving them something right. that a high value reward that we aren't using as a reward, just a high value item. And then that becomes the target, not not the peer. Yep. Because if they're getting noisy, terriers are noisy, especially in a scrap. So to me, it does sound like they're they're scrapping, but they really yeah. If they're Patterdales and they aren't tearing each other to pieces, they're really not that serious about it. Which is great. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying they're bad. They could be very good yeah. hunting yeah, dogs. I'm not sure. saying anything bad. But if they if they kind of cut cut it back on their own, it doesn't sound like you have too much to fix there, you know. But just Try and make a routine of something other than scrapping when they get released, you know, and the food's a good idea. And if not, maybe load them right up in the dog box or in the house or, you know, let them anticipate something other than a fight. Um, Yeah. And like like you said, too, Chad, the avoidance thing, if you need to split a piece of OSB in half, and and create a divider between the two of them so that they can't see each other and develop that aggression towards each other. I've had really good luck uh, in my kennel dividing that site. They feel more secure. They're not garden bowls. I, I mean, I've, I've, yeah. I mean, there's like you said, we can go a ton of different directions on this thing and spend a whole podcast talking about really? about this. But we've got we've got another one that kind of fits into the same thing because it's aggression based. Uh, or it can be interpreted as aggression. So uh, I hope that answers that question. I think you gave them some good options there. Redirect, give them a high-value reward, 
you got to change that mindset in your dog if you're gonna if you're gonna correct that behavior. Yep. And the last the last and, key and, point is not too much. Just a, just a few bites because if it's too much, then they're gonna keep hunting it. Then the other dog will come over to it. So you want them to consume it and then move on. So real quick, but how long? And just to wrap this one up, how long do you think? You say you got to be patient. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to correct this type of behavior, then what are you looking at? Realistic timeline before you can trust these dogs just to flip the kennel door open. And it all depends on how fast they take it, take to it. I mean, it might be a few days, to be honest, you know, especially if they aren't, mm -hmm. if they don't hate each other. It's kind of like a dog chasing a car. They, they, you know, their instincts and their drives get them going and they got to, they just got to do it, you know, but. Yeah. Um, when you stop the car, a lot of times, oh, most dogs just stand there like, well, now what do I do? You know? And if they're just running exactly. out, you know, making some noise at each other and then their energy is kind of taking them over that, that could be all this is. So it might go really quick, but mainly it's how fast the dogs learn to anticipate the food as opposed to each other, you know, and during this time, don't turn them loose to, you know, don't do it right on Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday comes along like, hey, I don't really have time for the food and just cut them all loose. You'll reset everything. You got to start all over again. Yep. So until you yep. get the behavior you want, manage them being turned loose to prevent it. If you like let one go and then bring the other one out on leash until you've kind of like eased into those waters and then let the other one go on leash. I I, I have a, a strong feeling it's just putting one on leash or the other on leash and then extending that release by a few seconds would probably fix the problem um, in itself. But in order to make it so that you could just pop both doors open, you're going to want them hunting something else. But I don't know, just, just off the cuff, I'd say, I'd say a week, you know, like, but if done correctly every single time, you know, you can definitely develop an anticipation for a high value reward, like, a, like mm -hmm. hot dogs in three days you know yeah and yeah. you know and do it individually for three days and then do it together for another two and you might be you might be done you know and then yeah. even then once they once they have an idea you could just do something as simple as throw one little piece of hot dog out there in front and then you know as you transition to no little piece of hot dog you just grab one and then wipe it on the ground out in front of their kennel run and wipe it on the ground out in front of the other kennel run and not even put a hot dogs down and let them go. And they're going to come out yeah. and start sniffing around like there's something there. And that still breaks that routine of I come out, I fight that ding, ding, ding. Right. You know? So, yeah, I like the, I like the, uh, I like the, uh, fight bell that you're talking about. You know, you're ringing the bell. It's like kennel latch comes open. We just rung the bell. It's time to fight. And they're you know, pumped coming out of the corner. Yeah. yeah. They're pumped. They're excited. I'm getting out Woo! Yeah. off the leash. And you know, they have all this energy yeah. and they're, what do I do with it? That dog likes the scrap. Let's go, you know. So it's just, it's just giving yeah. them an outlet, yeah. you know. It's a little punching bag, like a little piece of a little piece of hot dog, you know. So, yeah, I I like to, I would recommend, even if you see behavior that you think is not aggressive or you think you've got it corrected in five days, do it another week, you know. Oh, go yeah. ahead and do the same thing for another week until every time you're showing consistent behavior that you want. And that's going to take a week, another week of doing this. So you're going to have to commit yourself to some time until you're seeing the behavior and the response that you want. So don't think that, okay, we've been doing this for five days and boom, we got a good response today. Tomorrow I'm going to open the kennel door. You covered that. So let's, uh, let's move on to the next one.
because it's kind of based in the same area. And uh, I'm going to read Jimmy Irby. Jimmy has been a longtime uh, contributor to the group, and and uh, you know I, I see him on on our comments a lot. And he asked, "How can you go about correcting face barking?" Oh God! Uh, and face barking is one of those things. I want to make sure we all understand the term, you know, for for. But for a coon hunter, face barking, or a tree dog enthusiast, it's a dog that gets on the tree, and every time a dog comes close to them, then they turn their head towards them, and they give them, uh, you know, an aggressive-type uh, warning. It's like, hey, this is my spot. You know, it's like, ah, this is my spot. You know, you'll hear, ow, 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 and then you'll hear, ow, 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 ow. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that can be con- considered face barking. And what is commonly known as face barking. So, you care if I start with this one, Chad? Yeah, or go for Chad it. And, and yeah, so I think the most important thing, instead of looking at the actual act of face barking and trying to figure out a way to correct it, we have to go back and find out why does a dog face bark, and and why did they? What started that behavior in them to begin with? And I think that's where you start. If you're going to correct a problem, you've got to understand what the problem is instead of just saying, i got a face barker and this is what I need to do. you got to understand how to prevent it in the beginning. If you really want to correct it, then find out, you know, why is this dog face barking? Sometimes it's aggression, but sometimes it's a deal where uh, they're doing it out of fear. You know, they're, they're, they're fearful for other dogs. They've had a bad experience when another dog came close to them, so now... They don't ever want another dog to come close to them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my take on it to get us rolling on the conversation about this is determine why the dog is doing it. Is it aggressive or is it because it's fearful of something else? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and, and to me, it kind of sounds like something, you, you know, kind of the same kind of thing, you know, not, not handled with the hot dogs and everything, but like, well, how, how do you, I got, I got a few ideas, uh, uh, go for it, you man. know, That's why uh, you're here. give them, you know, like sometimes I like, sometimes they'll possess the tree and they get possessive of the tree and uh, this is my tree, mm-hmm. you know, and the, you know, it maybe like you said, maybe a, you know, a dog tried climbing up it and fell on them, you know, uh, or, or there was an, uh, a tree fighter, maybe your buddy's, yep. you know, ugly cousin brought his one dog, aggressive dog out there and, and then fought everybody off the tree. And now, now your good dog is, uh, was in a habit of sharing. And now they're like, Oh gosh, we're fighting for this thing now. And then now they feel like they have to protect it and guard it, you know, like a resource, mm-hmm. um, where they're going to lose it. Um, so sometimes just pulling them off the tree just a little bit, you know, so that they aren't possessing it then at that point. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I've, I have a buddy that, uh, likes to bring ground stakes to tie his dog back. You know, in the very beginning, just to get him off the tree just a little bit, you know, and and we've seen it before where this dog would fight anything that came anywhere near the tree when he had both paws up on the tree. And you just brought him off like two or three feet. And then he couldn't put his paws on the tree anymore. <clears throat> and there was young dogs, old dogs, everything was bumping into him, knocking into him. Every, and he didn't care. He, didn't, he As long as his paws weren't on the tree, he absolutely didn't care. And then for just a few trees, we kept him off of it. You know, and then let him be in it without being able to possess it. 
and it kind of trained itself away, you know. Did you uh, did you change his tree style like that? Did he go from a stand on the wood tree dog to a setback tree dog? No, no, he, he went right back to Paul's on it. I, I can imagine though that it would change some, but with this dog, it uh-huh. did not. He was right back up there again. It just <clears throat> it habit. You know, like everybody yeah. was like, I gotta teach this dog this. And you're not teaching them that. You're building different habits. You know, and that's mm-hmm. the what I find is the easiest way to understand it, you know. Um you're you're giving this dog a habit of being bounced around, you know, by other dogs and it being okay. So a lot of a mm-hmm. lot of times the problem is they're trying to possess that tree. They're trying to grab the tree with their front legs, and this is mine. I this is very valuable to me. This is mine. And you just pull them off a little bit and they can't possess it the same. But, you know, at the bottom of a good tree, there's dogs jumping and bouncing and falling. And, and now as long as he can't possess it, he's less aggressive and protective and reactive. Mm-hmm. And then once he's in a habit of treeing and being jostled without being able to possess it, a lot of times it trains itself. Like if you get in there and you try and explain to them, no, this is bad, and you start correcting the dog for fighting, then you're almost adding more conflict. You know, you're you're making them fight it more. Our hounds aren't pushovers. They don't give up really easy. So don't try and fight a hound. You know, a lot of times when you fight them, you're just, you're just going to make it worse. You're going to sink that hook deeper, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. That's kind of what, that's my thoughts. I, I'm, I'm going to take it back farther. I'm going to take it back to the importance of selection of mm-hmm. that, that pup to begin with. Obviously, you know, if you've got a face barker and he's five years old and he's got away with it for five years, then that's going to be really hard to correct. If it's a young dog, they're, you know, they're, they're on their first 10 trees and you're seeing this, or maybe they're on their 20th, you know, it, break that thing down, figure out, is he doing it when you hunt with this, when you hunt him with this particular dog, um, or is he doing it to any dog that comes in? And then, you know, it may be something as simple as um, you can narrow down a pretty a, a covert aggressive tree dog. If if you've got a young dog that tree, okay, let me break this down a little farther. If you've got a young dog that's ran with your dogs and he gets along great. But every time you go with this certain person or this cert, you add this other certain hound to the mix, you've got a face barking problem. If you watch, you can probably find the dog that's aggressive because 90% of a dog's communication is non, non-verbal. That's you know, right. he's gotten to the point where he has, he's gotten to the point where he's vocalizing his frustration or his aggression now. You know, all the posturing and everything already took, took place and and so we got to break that part down but selection i like i like this is why it's important to to get your pups from good breeders ones that don't tolerate that aggressive behavior from the very beginning when you start feeding those puppies as a litter you know because a lot of pups will develop that that behavior very early in their life you know, if they're getting bumped and beat out of a feed bowl and and now they're they're trying to survive, mm-hmm. they're gonna do what they know. They're gonna be aggressive and you're gonna see that even small puppies can can do that. So select pups from breeders that you know are going to that have an understanding of of how to deal with this stuff early on, you know, correct that behavior early on. So they never have that foundation for it. Um, 
the other thing that I, I would recommend is um, if you got a pup that's face barking and maybe he's just scared, he's overwhelmed at the tree, he's at the peak. Every one of these dogs is at the peak of their prey drive at that point. I mean, they're, they're in the red zone at this point. They're all focused on what they're doing. So just remove him from it and walk him into trees. You know, and, and when you get there, tie him back. Let him see what's going on. Let him see that this is a good, safe space. Spend some time with him there and slowly introduce him to that instead of just, he's a young dog, blow him in there, let him sort it out for himself. He's never going to sort it out for himself. You've got to step in and intervene if you want to save this dog. That, that's a fact. I, I, I wonder, I, the whole time I've been thinking, like, this is another form of dog aggression. Even if they aren't attacking other dogs, it's, it's, it's aggression towards other dogs. They, they never get better. It, it never works itself yeah. out like ever. So, you know, it doesn't mean you have to call the dog. It doesn't, you know, there's ways around it, but if you're not doing something about it consistently, it's going, it's only yeah. going to get worse, you know, and, yep. and routine and habit. That's your friend. I, that's the, one of the most powerful training tools you, you, you can have is, as a routine where they anticipate the next step, you know, you're trying to get them to do D. So you, you get them in a routine of doing a, and then B and then C and they're, they're slave to routine. Sometimes it, it yes. the ship drives itself. So like, uh, right. like Chris is saying, you know, walk them into the tree, tie them back, do that a few times. And then that will become the routine, you know, and yeah, it doesn't fix all of them, but you know, sometimes dog aggression is that can ruin them. And there's like, sometimes there's just nothing to be done for it. So get on it early, identify it young, get on it early and build it, build good routines. Like what Chris is saying. I think that's, I could, you know, that's fantastic. That's perfect. Yeah. Obvious, obviously this young dog is, he already knows how to run track. He knows he's supposed to be at the tree because you're hearing it or you're walking in and you're seeing it. So you've got a lot of those bases covered. Now you just got to take him back a step. He's going to go. This isn't going to hurt his hunting. It's not going to hurt his tree instinct, any of that stuff. You're just stepping in at the portion that he has a problem and reintroducing him on your terms to the behavior that you want while he's at the tree. And you got to take those steps back, and it's going to mean leading him in, letting him see that everything is okay here, being ready to intervene. If, if a dog runs past him and he face barks it, you got to intervene and correct that. And, timing and, is key quickly yes like yeah, as you, soon as you can anticipate it you can even see his body posture starting like he could see that dog starting to run by and you'll see him like turn away from the tree and focus on that dog that's the time right then yep you know you know you start seeing the the whites of their the the whites around their eyes and stuff when they're looking at stuff sideways they're not going to turn their head real sharp they're just going to kind of lower their head a little bit and be looking at stuff with and you'll see the whites in their eyes that's a sign that that dog's either scared or he's getting ready to be aggressive. And you're giving him so, a new routine. You're giving him a new outlet. I mean, cause yep. it's very satisfying at the bottom of the tree. They are, they are wanting something to take it out on. We all know this, you know, but they're wanting something to take it out on. And it's very, it's far more rewarding to lash out at or bark at something that's here. That critter's way up in the tree and they can't do much about it. So it's it's yeah. it's far more satisfying to let it go on something around them. So like like Chris is saying, if you pull them back, give them the outlet, no focus on that. You could bark at that. Look at that. Bark at that. Don't worry about everything going on down here. And then that's right. your new habit, you know, and then it, it might not take that long, you know, and then you could even try right. easing them in, like after a while of doing this and you're seeing 
the routine, you haven't seen that bad behavior, then ease him in on the leash, walk him in on the leash a little bit closer, let him kind of get bumped around a little bit and see if he does it. And if he does it, you know, I immediately correct it. Not hard. Don't go wearing him out with a switch, you know, but pop him, get his attention and then back him back out again. You could just, you can transition in and out, in and out until you see the behavior you want. I think that's, that's key. Yep. 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 All right, man. That's a good one. You got one. You got yeah. One let's one see. To run to. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Adam Murray. Uh, he's got a six month old hound that trees his own raccoons and does it often. Um, however, he, he does come back when he can't find a track within a hundred yards, you know, about a hundred yards. He goes out to look, if he doesn't find a track, he's coming back in. Um, Adam's ignoring him and he goes back to hunting. Um, then he goes on to say, uh, he pays no attentions to other dogs running. Should I work him now or should I just let him mature a bit? Uh, right off the bat, work the dog, always work the dog. <laughs> don't, don't sit on him, man. The exposure is perfect. You know, um, it just, I, I'm, I'm not a, I know that one of the items he's trying to identify here is, uh, the checking back in after like a hundred yards and no, uh, no track. And I mean, that'll kind of go on its own, you know, in my opinion. Right. And, but if you're wanting to identify, you know, work on it immediately, there's some tricks you can do, but then I'm not a hundred percent sure. Chris, what do you think? Uh, he's saying he pays no attention to other dogs running, you know? Um, I mean, there's a quick, easy fix to that. Cut them loose to tree coon or tree bear or whatever it is that you're treeing, you know, eventually they'll start to listen to other dogs running or barking or anything like that. If you just hold them back and then turn them loose at the tree or when they're about the tree or something like that. I mean, that gets them focused on the other dogs, which might help draw him out into the woods and follow on other dogs even before they're tracking. Um, but uh, like, is that the way you would take that, Chris? Uh, like, Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I've got the luxury of, of, I've talked to Adam quite a bit over the years, Okay, or, you know, over the last year or so. So I kind of have, I know his style of hunting. He's not a competition coon hunter. Okay. But you know, this, this pup is a competition coon hunter's dream. You okay. know, you got a, you got a six month old pup that's treeing his own raccoons and does it often. So he's got some consistency there. Mm-hmm. If, if, if he's don't worry about that hundred yards, man, he's only, he's a baby, you know, I would recommend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, this is a great problem to have. Okay. Just because he's not going more than a hundred yards or so at six months old. That's okay. You can start backing that up as he gets more confidence and and things like that. But but for this age, you know, you want to you want to continue to challenge that dog and make him grow. You don't want to be uh at this point, I would still be putting him in places where he's going to strike a raccoon pretty consistently, learn the tracking, learn the the, you know, the locating ability um and his trees, you know, that he's got to stay treed and things like that. Six months old, this is nothing to worry about. He's gonna he's gonna figure out that um he's gonna have to go hunting eventually. And the way I always develop that is if I've got a pup that's consistently going out and finding tracks um within a hundred, two hundred yards, then I just start backing up from I start turning them loose farther away from where they are going to find that track. A dog will learn that, you know, and we see it a lot in coon hounds here in the Midwest because, you know, we'll pull up and the woods is open and the woods is sitting across the field. You flip that dog loose and you want that sucker throwing dirt in your face and getting in there and finding a track 
Well, you just do that slowly and in increments where before you know it, you know, you can be a quarter mile away, point them in a direction. It's like firing a gun, boom, there go. Mm-hmm. But at this point, a hundred yards at six months old, I don't know how often, how many reps he's had in here, but man, don't sweat it. You know, just start backing him up a little bit. Um, and one thing that, that I've seen, if this becomes a problem at eight, nine, ten months old, when they come back to the truck, man, I put them in the box and I'll pull the other dog out of the other side of the box. And then he gets to sit and he gets to listen to what just happened. Mm. And I've, I have had a few pups that did this where I even drove, you know, back before I even had a side-by-side, I would drive within, try to drive as close as I could where they can sit there and build up that anticipation and that desire to be there. And, um, man, it, it fixes things real quick. When they show back up at the truck or show back up to me, they either go on leash or they go on the box after they get several reps. And I know that they're competent at, at finding, finding their own tracks and treeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's uh, spot on, you know, and a lot of folks will like try and, you know, kind of get in their butt a little bit. And I'm not saying praise Dude. them up, you know, but if you stomp them out hard, He's not gonna. He's gonna be worried about what, what, and why, you know. And it, he's just gonna learn to hide. Yeah, you know. So just sometimes just load them up in the truck, and sometimes what you could do too. I've done this before. It's hilarious. You load them up in the truck, and then like where his side, where he could stick his head out, or he could see. Load them up in the truck, and then you take off running, where you could see. He's just what? No, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're exactly. watching what's going on out there without him, and I'll run out of sight and circle back around, and I'll stand behind the truck where he can't see me. And, you know, and then they feel like they're, they got, what, what is it? My wife calls it uh, uh fear of missing FOMO <laughs> fear of missing <laughs> out. And you know, that, that'll, yeah. that'll push them out there. Something else he said in there that I think is key is he ignores them when he does come back. Yeah. A lot of people will talk to him, even if it's negative thoughts, but they say it in a, in a praise way. You know, like, man, what are you doing, buddy? You shouldn't right. be back here. You're talking to him. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. and I'm not saying, Adam's doing that. We're, we're just talking generally here, you know, so yep. I'm not, uh, don't, don't take me wrong there, Adam, but I've seen it done. Yeah, We don't have all the details here. So mm-hmm. we're just filling in the blanks of things that we've seen that, that can cause problems. You know, when I'm walking a pup in the woods um, and they come back around me, you know, I may be stopped and watching them hunt and then they start walking towards me. I just walk towards them and just keep pushing them. I never say anything. I just keep pushing them, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they just boom. Resetting that OODA loop, you know, where it's like, okay, this is what we're doing. It's never, let's go, let's go hunting. You know, none of that stuff. Don't do that. Yeah, that's that's bad. And I find, work on Daydream about it, how to be boring. <laughs> as silly as that yes. sounds, how could I be boring? Absolutely. I find something that works great for me, especially with uh, dogs that'll, um, we do a lot of walk hunting for various whatevers, you know, sometimes even with my side hounds. And if they get tired, They'll come in behind and just walk behind me really slow. And I find a good way of getting to prevent that is I take like half steps or even quarter steps. So like almost like shuffle steps where you're just walking really slow. Don't talk to them. They'll stay behind you. And eventually they're like, God, get out of my way. And they'll go around you and take off. Or I'll go, um, don't go stand at the bottom of a tree for a tree dog. They might start anticipating, you know, thinking you're trying to tell them something else. But if like there's a big thicket, I'll like walk right into the thicket. Like I'm parking a car in it and just stand there. And eventually the dog's going to come up yep. behind you and be like, what, what, this is dumb. 
you know, and then go off and do something else, you know, but so we're specifically trying to do the opposite of being engaging and encouraging and fun. I want to be boring. I want the dog like that sucks, man. You know, and then they take off, you know, walk slow, walk boring, walk into a bush, you know, just stand there looking at the bush. He's going to look at the bush too. And they're like, this is stupid. And he's going to take off, you know, but (laughs) darn sure. Don't be like, go on, go get it, man. Go get, go on, go get, don't, that's horrible. You know, like that's only going to help. Now, like Adam says, he's ignoring them. That's good. Keep, keep that up. Just make sure you're not doing anything else to reinforce coming back to check in, you know? Yeah. If he's, uh, I've also heard some people turn around and run in the other way. Like when the dog comes back to check in, they turn around and walk the other way. Chasing, catching up is a reinforcing activity. Like Chris is saying, Mm -hmm. like walk towards that dog sometimes. And sometimes they'll even turn around and start running the other way. But, you know, talking to them or turning around and letting them catch up to you, uh, those are all ways to reinforce behavior, not prevent it. Right, right. You know, I do things intentional. Like I back in, I back my truck in towards the woods that I'm going to hunt. And when I'm hunting a young dog and I start hunting a young dog by itself and I see a problem like this, you know, if I start seeing this problem where they're lacking hunt drive or whatever, obviously there could be a health issue. But, but if that's, you know, let's take that off the table. We're assuming that this is a healthy pup that's just developed a little bit of a wants to be with dad type thing. So I'll back the truck in. I'll leave the tailgate down. The other hound is in the other side. If they come back, put them in there. They get to see me take that other hound out. Watch me walk that, just like you said, walking away from the truck. It's like, man, I want to be part of that party. Just let them be, you know, build up that frustration. You go and do your thing. And then if you're out on the ground, and and that's where social media has been valuable to me as a hound hunter. <laughs> I'll get a pup out there, no expectations, young pup. A lot of times I'll just be the most boring person they ever saw because I'll start checking my email. Yeah. I'll start checking my feed. You know, and when they come around, they try to nose me. I'll just bump them with an elbow, mm-hmm. you know, and just like, I don't want you here. I'm not friendly with them. I'm busy. I'm doing something else. And before long, they're just like that. A lot of times they'll lay down and take a nap. You know, sometimes they'll do that. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, most times they'll they'll take off and they'll go, oh, this is more fun over here. We're dire- redirecting again. That's redirecting. Right. That's right. That's one of my favorite things because I like the Yag Terriers. I, I oh used to love God. hunting pigs with them things. And we always wanted them to hunt deep, you know, go, get, you know, like I jumped the truck. I want to, you know, put put at least a half mile in between me and you right now. You know, <laughs> like I don't. Yeah. I want to see you get out there and start hunting. And, you know, so I've always uh, that's what I've done with puppies at a young age. I'll go find a thick briar b- bush with a with a lawn chair and my phone and a and a coca-cola or something you know and i'll set my chair down in the thorny bush and i'll bring a hot dog and i'll throw little pieces as far as i could throw them you know this is a young dog you know and throw them out as far as i can i'll just sit in that bush and be as boring as absolute possible and eventually they'll start wandering out and then they find reinforcement away you know um yep and that's just on an even younger version than i think what we're talking about here but it same same for 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 me it's, it's it's like this is a big fun world we live in but it's not fun right here. There's better things for you to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go make your own fun. I used to tell my kids all the time. It seems like you go outside and, and we've got a big, nice place here and, and uh, come out and they're sitting on the porch looking at each other bored. And I'll just look at them and say, 
you got 56 acres here. You can go find some fun besides right here, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I say the same thing about the dogs now. All right. So recap that one for us real quick. Redirect. What else? What else Can, we got? There? Continue be boring. And he's a puppy. He's still stepping on his ears, you know, like he'll, he'll, yeah. there's things you could do to make the connections with other dogs in the fun. But I mean, I don't, I, if he's already treeing his own, I really wouldn't worry about that. He'll make the connection himself. You don't want him out there just hunting other dogs. Um, but if it, right. if it continues to be a problem or something you want to see change, you know, we all know how to get him focused on other dogs. Just leave him in the truck till they tree and cut him loose to the tree. He'll learn to listen to other dogs, follow other dogs, you know? Yeah. Um, but at yeah. this point I would just, I would just keep being boring and doing what Chris says, turn loose a little bit further away, a little bit further away. If a hundred yards, he cuts out, go to your best spot and turn loose 150 feet out and just sit there and be as boring as you possibly can. And, you know, so that's what I take from it. Sounds like a great dog, you know? Yeah. No kidding. I'd love to have a dog that's six months old and train their own coons consistently. And Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't be, you, you can't discipline a dog to hunt. That's one thing I'll say right off the bat. All you do is teach them to, teach them to hide but you can manipulate and let them to use heath's word self-discovery you know i've discovered for myself that when i go i can have a lot of fun Mm -hmm. if i hang around the truck i'm either going back in or dad's no fun you know why are we doing this this guy's boring man get me out of here yeah yeah (laughs) for sure for sure um all right so i'm gonna read the next one uh, this is from Dustin Machado and, um, full disclosure here. We talked about this quite a bit in a private message. So, um, uh, Dustin Machado writes, so I run off lead trailing dogs in the South. I have a Jip that is a trailing mofo, but when she is bait up, I'm coming in for the dispatch and she knows I'm there. She heads for the truck. Don't know if it's the gun or the other dog, but can but can't have that for my customer. Call or fixable. So let me give you a little bit of background on this because when I saw the question, I, w- I was a little more curious. I wanted some more info. Um, so I had the conversation. Dustin runs uh, deer recovery dogs in Texas. And in Texas, you can run those deer recovery dogs off lead. And you can go back and listen to an episode we did with Travis Land to get a really good breakdown. Shorty and I interviewed him down in Texas about how they hunt their dogs and what they expect from their dogs on that. So we won't get into that. But uh, Dustin's out here. He's finding, you know, going on, on recovery jobs. And he's got a female that can really trail. But when he gets close, then she packs it up. She's like, I've had enough. And she goes back to the truck. So that's his problem. He wants to know if that's fixable or is she is she done? Can't fix it. Um, I uh, identifying what the problem is uh, would be would be super important. You know, like that that would definitely help us answer this a little bit more because if it is a gun shyness, you know, find a way of you know gun breaking them or at this point it'd be gun encouraging them. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if that's, if that's the case, most times that is easy to fix. If you have time and you don't get greedy and you ease through it, gun breaking a dog's really fast. And I don't know if we have quite the time to go through that right now. We could zip through it, but if it, you know, I would, I would ensure that the dog's not afraid of the gun, you know, 
Um, and if it is, if it's the other dog, the easiest way to, you know, I don't know Texas law, but if you can run one trailing dog, you know, if, if it's possible to run two, you know, if you have them on the Garmin system and you cut loose of the second dog and you could sit back where she's not seeing you get downwind um, and she's not seeing you, she's not smelling you and you cut loose of the other dog. And then as that second dog gets there, she leaves and okay, you know, that's the problem, you know? Um, and then if you, if she, it's only her on the ground and you ease up, then it might be you, you know, um, or, mm-hmm. or the gun. So like, I would kind of do a little, a little investigational work there to try and identify exactly what is the problem. Um, um, but if it's yeah, gun breaking, so- work on that, you know, to turn the gun as into anticipation, you know? Um, right. Are you, am, am I, Heading in the wrong direction, Chris? Like, what do you think? No, I mean, no, I don't think so. The only thing that I see is, you know, in the question itself, and and like I said, I I I did have some conversation with him to get some more information on this because I thought it was, it was a little bit vague just the way it was posted. So, you know, anytime that I try to, if I get if I get questions, I always try to ask questions. Yeah, and and make sure I understand what they're dealing with completely before I just wade in with advice. So. Uh, she is baying with other dogs. So, so the, the way this scenario was set up for me, you know, she doesn't have a problem with staying with other dogs. You know, she's there, she's there until you get there and something about when you get there, she doesn't like. So the, the value of being at that bay isn't worth, it's not a high enough value reward for her to stay. And I think it's a gun shy problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she is, a she is associated. Okay. Dustin, when you show up, there's a big loud noise and I'm not, I, I stayed for the first couple, but I really didn't like it. So I'm out of here. You know, yeah. I, when I hear you coming, when I see you coming, when I smell you coming, I know there's going to be a, a reaction here that I don't like. So mm-hmm. I'm just not going to stay. I'm not going to be here when you get here. So here's how I've, I've, again, going back to foundation stuff, this is, I'm going to answer, I'm going to address this in this way. As a puppy in that early formulative time, what I have found is there's a lot of ways to, to introduce dogs to gunfire. She's probably never properly introduced to gunfire to begin with. Um, you know, I, at feeding time, you know, that's like the dinner bell going off. I'll, the way my system is set up here, my kennel sit away from my feed room in the barn. So I'll walk out the back of the barn, fire a tw- couple 22 shots, and then immediately come out of the front of the barn with the feed and feed everything. So when they hear that gunshot, they know something's going to happen. I also take them to, I've taken pups to uh, like our local sporting clays range. And I'll just sit back with them a hundred yards away from the firing line. And when guns go off, it's a happy time. I'm, you know, for retrievers, it's easy. You can, you can do a, a check cord retrieve and redirect that focus on something they really want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, with hounds, a lot of times you can just, you know, give them a pet, give them a treat, you know, so that, so that when they're here, gunfire is a good thing. And in this case, what I talked to Dustin about was, okay, uh, he talked about having a big pen in the back and he, he feeds everything out there. I was like, okay, well, when you walk out to feed, have somebody go out, out of the front of your house and 
and fire a shot. If you live in an area, we're not saying break ordinances and doing stuff like that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, even a fire, even a firecracker, you know, firecrackers are great for that sort of stuff. You know, on the other side of the house, directed away from them, it's like pop, but here's food. Boom here. But, oh, wait, but here's food. And, and just work them through it step by step. Uh, I think that's awesome. I got I got a little bit to add in there. Some other tricks. Good deal, um, man. Uh, we got to remember, like, oh gosh, where do we start? Um, you're 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 saying what I like to call Pavlov's hounds. You know, you you've heard of Pavlov's you dogs, bet. or you know, where they you ring the dinner bell and they start drooling in anticipation. Like we're back to anticipation and routine here. It's it, it's all connected you know it's the same thing we were talking about the other questions you know like pavlov's dog supposedly you ring the bell the dogs start to drool well you shoot the gun the hounds start to bark you know um so try and make it fun you know and uh the next part it would be uh the dogs see the world through their nose you know so we hear the gun we think it's just the bang i swear up down left right and center Nobody can tell me anything to get me to believe otherwise that it's the smell of the powder burn that is scaring these dogs as much as anything else. It'll get to the point where Mm. the bang freaks them out. And I'm not saying they're only afraid of the smell, but they are just afraid of the smell of it. It's this monster coming to get them. It's not just the noise, but they associate the smell with the bang. And you think you shoot a gun a hundred yards away. They can still smell it. They, you know, they could smell it, you know, last night's lion fart on a rock. In 30 yeah. mile an hour wind, they can smell a gunfire. <laughs> they can smell a gun. You know, they, we yeah. can smell powder. They could, it's a slap in the face to them, you know? And I think we as humans forget about that sometimes. So I like to even go back one more step. You can go to the dollar store, um, pick up one of those El Cheapo cap guns. You used to play with as a kid, the little eight shots, you know, get, yeah. just buy a handful of them. They're like, you know, a little over a dollar each. Get a bunch of them because you're going to break them. They're going to fall apart. And then you can Inflation, go on the internet and you can now. buy like a few hundred rings of caps. You know, that way you could just use them aggressively. And what I like to do is I'll do kind of exactly what you're saying, Chris, but I'll even start with a, you know, a half step in between there is I'll go inside the house and I'll fire that cap gun off five or six times and get a whole lot of powder burn going on that cap gun. And I'll put the food down in the bowl and I'll let the cap guns just set it right next to them. So they aren't even hearing the bang. Nice. I break them to the powder burn first. Break them to the smell mm. first. That smell means kibble, you know? And you just leave the cap yeah. gun in the bowl, right next to the bowl, whatever. If it's a house dog, like it's a, a cocker or a terrier that you, you know, you bring inside the house, put them in the crate, feed them in the crate, put the cap gun on the outside. At night, fire a few off inside, lay it outside the cake, let them sleep with it, you know? Get them used to the smell first. And then after that... Is- that I do the gunfire just about the same as you're talking about. Start inside the house, you know, or behind the house, and then just ease your way in. And then I get dogs here for gun breaking all the time to where, like, somebody will bring out a, a 410 shotgun and the dog will just sit in the corner and start trembling. You know, yep. like, and that's what we're trying to yep. recover from. And, I, you know, in the beginning, I used to have a whole lot of fun making show-off videos, and I got sick and tired of, like, taking a 410 and with blanks or something. And you could put the shotgun rested on the dog's back and fire a blank. Now, you do this safely, so the powder burn isn't going to hurt the dog or anything like that. But the same dog that was just sitting in the corner trembling, looking at the 410 shotgun, just on the ground. <laughs> no one's even holding it. Yeah. You brought that gun in, that dog's still smelling that powder. He doesn't even mm. have to shoot it. He could smell the powder off that shotgun. You know, In the other room, he could smell it. And then when he sees it, oh, God, there's that monster. You know, And then yeah. before the end of it, you could rest that 410 with some 
you know, some blanks in there on the dog's back and shoot it off his back while he's eating kibble. And they, they don't even care, you know? Yeah. So I never even thought about the association of the smell. That is, I did. I I do believe. And one of the things that I told him is, you know, after you've introduced, gone back and reintroduced him to the gunfire is approach every bay up downwind from there. So they can't smell you coming. Mm -hmm. They can't, you know, I, I, I'm a big proponent on fixing a lot of pro- when you're fixing problems around the tree or whatever, being conscious of the wind. I'm always checking mm-hmm. wind. I always try to approach bay ups or whatever from the downwind side so that the game or the dogs don't know that I'm there. Yep. But uh, yeah, that's a, that you even got me. Th- See, that's why I love doing these. Yep. You just introduced me to something that I never thought about the El Cheapo cap gun. From the dollar store. And you can do it in the house then. Anymore. You know, like that's, that's like some dogs are, I keep saying the house, but like that's a lot of my, you know, a lot of the folks yeah. that I work with, you know, I have them. And then I like to do it where I have a whole lot more control. But even if they're, you know, they're kennel dogs, you know, a pack of hounds, just throw it in the dog barrel. That's another thing. Make the, you know, don't go shaving gunpowder into their kibble. I am not saying that. But <laughs> I don't know about you, but I keep all my kibble in a pickle barrel, you know? Yeah. And just fire the gun off once or twice, throw it in the barrel, put the top on it. You know, like immerse them in gun, you know, like, so make yeah. the food smell like it, you know, like just let it be in there, you know, and fire it off. And, well, and you know, it could be that they're smelling him. It could j- very easily be that he's smelling the barrel of that rifle, you know, a hundred, 300 yards out. If he's coming in upwind. The, the dogs right. could be smelling that that monster's coming that shotgun he may yeah. another thing he may leave the shotgun in the truck one time and just walk in and the dog may be it, the dog may let him walk up behind him and slap him in the butt and not even know he's there it might 100 percent be the smell of the gun you know yeah so, you know that's interesting because even in humans the power of smell it's so deeply ingrained in our brains and we're not olfactory focused creatures yeah you know but but here's a, here's an example, okay? I used to clean guns in the house, mm-hmm. okay? Man, if I smell hoppies or, or solvent, I, I know that smell, and it takes me to a good place. It makes me think about shooting. It makes me think about hunting. It makes me think about all these things. And you feel so, it, right? Like, you, yeah, you do. It gives like, you a feeling, oh, not just a thought, but yeah. a feeling. Yeah, feeling. You know, it's like, it's like when you smell baking bread, it t- transports you back to your childhood of walking in grandma's house. There's still houses that I can walk into and the, the odor in that house will take me back to my grandmother's house. You know, when I was a little kid, yep. because it was a good experience. So going back to the gun cleaning thing, you know, while, while hoppies and solvent and all that stuff, it's like burnt powder, man, I love it. It's just, it transports me to a good and happy place. My wife, not so much, you know, she enjoys <laughs> shooting. But she's also like, that hoppies, that, that, that gun stuff is burning my nose. You know, not, a, so she's got a different reaction than I do. And, and I just bring that up because even in people, we have that ability and we're not focused. We don't see the world through our nose like our dogs do. So, man, that, that's something that I never thought of, Chad. That's a good one. That's yeah. A good one. I, it, it, I've found uh, a lot of folks don't think of it that way. And it, it, it didn't come to me quick. It had to be one of those aha moments, you know? Um, yeah. That's how I start every single dog here. 
every every single dog even you 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 know spend thousands of dollars on a top dog and the genetics should be there so that there is no gun shy you know there's no gun shyness you know but like i just start all of mine the same way it's too easy the main thing is don't get in a hurry you know you've got a problem okay let's take our time don't rush it you can you can fix almost any gun shy dog if you just build a routine you know get make it up, you know, you have enough reinforcement there to, to, to drive them through it so that you're not pushing them, let them pull themselves through it. Um, right. And just take your time, baby steps and you can, you can come break just about anything, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, uh, but start, start with a smell 100%. And if you, you know, like always like start it. slow, everybody wants to like start halfway and go, Oh, I got a problem. I need to back up more. When that happens, take a piece of newspaper, roll it up, you know, in a tight, tight little stick and, Beat yourself over the head with it. You know, like you're supposed to start <laughs> as far back as possible. You want the first time, like, you know, you fire that cap gun off outside and you know, they can't even hear it. And then you bring it in, set next to the food bowl. They go up to the food bowl. They're like, oh, what's this? You're like, damn it. I should have backed up more. I, You know, like fire the gun off and put it on the other side of the room. You know, like try yeah. and try and do it the first time where you get no response. And if you get yeah. that, then you did good. That makes a good trainer when you don't see any reaction. That's the goal. You don't want to, the first time, have them be kind of sort of afraid of it and start working through. Then you're already starting with a little bit of failure. Don't start with 100% success and then start adding mm. to the load, you know, adding one more brick yeah. to the pile, you know. Um, but always yeah. start your routine 100% positive. And then, and then slowly start making it more difficult. And if that means you fire the cap gun on your hands in the other, like in the car down the street, and then you, you leave <laughs> it in the car and then you get out, then you prepare the dog's food. If that's what you got to do to start, then that's what you got to do, you know, but don't, right. you know, don't try and overcome fear right out the gate, have it hundred percent happy. And then, and then start adding a little more. I like it, man. Well, that's going to do it for the the questions for this AMA Friday. I know we didn't get to every one of them, but uh, we're basing it on engagement, what the listeners, people, people want to hear. So you can check out, make sure you're visiting our uh, Facebook group on and looking for these AMA Friday posts. There's a picture of Tough and I sitting in the truck. Uh, you know, it's, we made it very obvious what we're doing with that. You're going to see that post popping up. And when you see it pop up, list your questions for, uh, for us. And, and I want to thank everybody that submitted questions. And again, this kind of stuff, I mean, I learned something just doing this podcast with you about the odor of the gun, the gunpowder, the burnt powder, great stuff. And, uh, that's what it does for me. I like getting the questions because it makes me evaluate where I'm at as a trainer and, and either legitimize it or tear it down or throw it out the window or whatever. So Chad, thanks for, thanks for taking time this morning, man. Oh, I had a blast. I, I, I ate this stuff up. So thank <laughs> I know you Literally. do. Thanks for having me. Yep. That's why you're here, buddy. That's why you're here. I, I appreciate you coming on board with Houndsman XP and, um, uh, sharing your knowledge and your experience and just everything. So, Appreciate it. Likewise. Yep. Well, you got any, you got any closing thoughts for anybody? Uh, no, I, you know, I just, uh, the recap of everything we said today was just take it slow, be patient, routine, 
is your friend, you know? Um, and uh, if they check in, be boring. Work on there being boring. Master being boring. <laughs> but that, yeah, <laughs> that's that's it, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, man. It's, it's one of those deals that it all goes back to um, opportunity. And if you don't have a lot of opportunities, maybe the hound you've got is you've developed a special relationship with them or, or you don't have access or whatever, you know, you got to evaluate. A lot of these things take a lot of time and you've got to do some self-evaluation of how much you're willing to invest. Um, and just because it's not going to work out for you doesn't mean that that pup won't work out somewhere else. I think there are times to call and different ways to do that. But, um, a lot of times these questions get asked and it's like, Oh, life's too short. But if you want to be a good dog trainer and be a true houndsman, then those are the guys that I see can take hounds, fix problems and have really good hounds on the other side of it above average hounds. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's the mark of a houndsman, not to anybody can train the all-star, the supernatural, you know, all-star pup that never makes mistakes and, and just fix little things. But you take a guy that that can, or a person, a woman even, woman women can do amazing things with hounds that I have learned a lot from my wife. But you take those people that can take those issues that are deal breakers for other people and fix them and have a good usable hound. That's where I'm getting my advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I agree. Well, I agree. Chad, I'm going to wrap this one up and. Uh, Sign off, man. Sounds good. These are fun. Right. You have me around you again. Bet. That's good stuff. You bet. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. I love having you on the show. So, all right. Until next time, folks, just like always, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.